welcome to another exciting episode of Matinee Matinee. Today we'll be re- reviewing the film Punch Love Drunk, right? Or is it wow, Punch Drunk Love? N- wow, wow. I, I guess Punch Drunk Love. Oh my God. Punch Drunk Love. There's those three words in it in some permutation. Maybe it's uh, Love Punch Drunk. I don't know. Apparently. <laughs> Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Okay, I just tried to search punk punch drunk love and then it came up with punch drunk which I guess is a we're going to start the review this way by the way. I guess punch drunk is a chronic traumatic encephalopathy so it's a neurodegenerative disease with features of dementia that comes from people who do professional boxing or wrestling or suffer from a lot of concussions. So that's something. <laughs> now let's talk about the movie. Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. Um, P.T. Anderson. He's, he's got a style. Uh, I love him so much. Okay, can I... I'll, I'll start, actually, by saying when I first started watching this movie, I didn't realize who directed it or really anything about it. But I just... I put it on... And I started doing something random in the background, like, because I was just trying to get stuff done. Arissa doesn't care about cinema. <laughs> she watches it on a laptop or sometimes a cell phone. And if that we're was lucky, just enter the she, void. Pays atten- she actually pays attention to the movie. That was just Enter the Void because Enter the Void was the worst. And I do not feel bad. In fact, I feel bad about watching that movie, not about watching it on a cell phone. Um, so Punch Drunk Love, I put it on. I was, like, doing something else. And then, like, literally within the first, like, minute, I was like, I gotta stop everything I'm doing and just watch this film. Because it's, like, it's that striking. And I didn't realize it was P.T. Anderson. I think I knew that at one point a long time ago when I first added it to my Netflix queue, but I had since forgotten. And then once I started watching it full time instead of doing other things, I was like, who directed this? And then I was like, oh, of course it's P.T. Anderson. Like, of course I love him. And of course I'm going to enjoy this film, which maybe means I can't give it a good review. I don't know, Matt, what do you think? I mean, unbiased. You're probably going to give it a positive review. I am biased to P.T. Anderson. Actually, I was like, P.T. Anderson, you know, he's a famous director. I've probably seen a lot of his movies. I, I've seen There Will Be Blood and none other, no other uh, P.T. Anderson movies. You need to watch Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is the best. Boogie yeah, Nights is no, the I best. I don't disagree with that statement. Okay. Yeah, Boogie Nights is the <clears throat> best. But yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> P.T. Anderson. Um, so, so the brief synopsis of this movie is uh, Adam Sandler plays this guy, what's his name? Barry Egan. Barry Egan. And there's a few things going on in Barry Egan's life. First of all, he has seven sisters who are extremely naggy and annoying. Um, Second of all, he has discovered what he believes to be a way of um, getting an infinite amount, or not an infinite, but a very high number of frequent flyer miles due to this promotion, which was not thought out well, and as a result, like, if you buy certain types of food, you get certain amounts of frequent flyer miles, and he has figured out a way that he can spend very little money 
and actually get more value out of frequent flyer miles than he pays for for these food items. So he's trying to amass as much frequent flyer miles as possible. Um, he called the phone sex line, and now they have his personal information, and they're trying to extort him for money. And um, the final thing is, one of his sister's co-workers um, had a car accident close to where he works, and now she's coming on to him pretty hard. Um, Wait, yeah. is that her car accident? No, that wasn't her car that accident. That wasn't her? At the beginning. Was it her? I don't think that was her. I think she just brought her car to the shop. Um, was that her? Now I have to go back and see. It's like literally the first minute. It's a, she she orchestrates the car accident, but I don't what? know. If it's, I don't know if it's her car. You don't remember that part? That happens later no. in the movie. She orchestrates the car accident. Okay, Barry witnesses an inexplicable car accident. Picks up an abandoned harmonium from the street. That's another part. And encounters Lena Leonard, a co-worker of one of his sisters. I don't think she's involved in the car accident. I think that's just something that happens. I'm literally watching it she, right now. The tells, car accident was where I was like, oh my god, I need to like watch this film. She tells him when they're in Hawaii, she tells him that. That, sh- that she did the car accident? I think so. It's not her car, though. I'm literally watching it. It's this, like, Jeep thing. It's this, like, red Jeep that gets the car accident. And her car is a white, you know, sedan. Yeah, I don't think it's her. Okay, that's, like, a small... She says it in Hawaii. that, That she caused the car accident? Yeah. Oh. I don't remember that. That's weird. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Anyway, regardless of the accident and who caused it, and. Well, that's kind of weird, though. The film can be characterized by being weird. It's P.T. Anderson. Yeah. So you're getting a little weird stuff. But like... Surrealistic again. That's yeah, the word. But, of but the it podcast. works for me so much better than the other one. Why? Why does it work for me so because much better than... Because you're biased. Maybe because I'm biased. Maybe because it's like a quiet surrealism. You know, there's not a lot of bells and whistles although the music in this film is really interesting and i liked it um a lot there's less bells and whistles with this you know they're not it's not he's not trying to convolute anything you know the other film lucky number seven is like a heist thing but this is just like a dude who's like struggling and he's like trying to figure out his life and his life sucks and all this random shit keeps happening. I don't know. I found it very... I think it's very sympathetic. I was very sympathetic with Barry. Um, this is a... Uh, I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but Adam Sandler plays the main character in this movie. 
And this is 2002 Adam Sandler. So this is kind of him in like, you know, still probably in his prime where people don't hate him. And he's made a lot of stupid comedies, but, but people he's like awesome. them. Yeah, people actually like him at this point in his career. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of the time when people talk about, you know, is Adam Sandler a good actor? They point to this movie and his more um, subdued performance. And they sort of, you know, use that to show that he is, in fact, a, a good actor. Yeah. I feel like he... Yeah, I don't... I don't really like him, but in this film, I was still able to sympathize and definitely see his strength. I mean, the the character, right, as Matt mentioned, he has sisters that are super annoying and, um, you know, he's super lonely, thus he calls a phone sex hotline and, like, not for specifically phone sex, just to, like, as to talk to someone. Well, you don't know. know. It cuts out. I know. So let me explain. The phone sex operator keeps trying to get him to, like, talk about his dick and stuff like that. And he's just like, well, how was your day? And, like, obviously they... I think it's implied that they do have phone sex eventually. But it's definitely not, like... You can tell that that's not why he calls the line specifically. It's not just to have phone sex. Um he's a lonely dude and i and so another aspect to him that matt didn't mention was that he has these outbursts of anger um where one for example when he's with his sisters and he um they just keep annoying him because they're talking about how they used to call him gay or something when he was a kid or or he did something that was weird and he just like breaks a window or several window panes. It's not just one window. It's like punches out three windows. And um and then he goes back to being like the quiet and subdued and anxious guy and I feel like it's so true. Like so, I feel like so many people are walking around that way except they never actually punch a window pane, but they're kind of just like so frustrated and so they feel so isolated and like the only way to get out these feelings is by punching out a window. So I found him, I found him very sympathetic. There are times I've wanted to punch things. I haven't because I don't want to get arrested or damage property, but like, yeah, I don't know. It was sympathetic. You just understand why he's sort of so, so, I mean, to some extent you understand why he's subdued and, you know, why he gets very frustrated by dealing with his sisters. And... Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of points of where tension builds a lot in this movie. As I was trying to give the synopsis, there's like, you know, quite a few storylines and they all kind of coincide with each other. But it's quite effective. I mean, I think you're, you're dealing with surrealism here. So, like, you know, it's intent, like, you know, perhaps there's, I mean, perhaps you also have an unreliable narrator in um, Adam Sandler. And so the fact that, you know, all of these things are occurring simultaneously might not be real, but it is effective in terms of showing how this anxiety builds and how he sort of, um, why he takes the actions that he does. 
Wait, what are you talking about? These things might not be real. They might not be occurring exactly as simultaneously as they appear in the film. What do you mean by that? Yeah, Adam Sandler might be an unreal, unreliable narrator. We're seeing it from his perspective. Yeah, but perhaps like, in reality they're occurring slower. He's just anxious about all of them, so okay. it seems like they're happening simultaneously. When in fact, and happening so fast, they're yeah. happening at a much slower rate. Yeah, and that would, that would, I can see that, but yeah, I guess it doesn't really. I don't know. Usually, when I think of unreliable narrators in film, I think of when there is narration or there is like clear like or obviously like looking at things from his point of view in many ways because we were with him all the time but I don't know I've never really thought of um unreliable narrator in film unless there are people actively telling you something do you know what I mean I mean whenever you see anything from someone's perspective they're they're passively telling you something. Yeah. But I guess it's like, are the cuts his perspective, or are they the director's who's, like, technically the narrator? Just, like, silent, you know? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of this in terms of text versus film, which is weird. And when I say text, I mean written text. Okay. Anyway, back to the film. Um... What else do you think about it? Um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, the, the yeah, it did a effective job, I thought, of building tension. Um, it was kind of, I mean, it, it's it's an odd movie in terms of it, it, the things that happen are somewhat surrealistic. The whole idea of this plot to get a large number of frequent flyer miles by buying pudding is, you know, unusual. And we don't, you don't actually get to see, like, yes, yeah, spoiler alert. At the end of the movie, he doesn't, you know, necessarily use all these frequent flyer mi- miles. <laughs> it's actually funny because, um, uh, where was I going with this? Um, they're not funny, but one of the interesting things about this movie is he's he discovers this plan to get a very large number of frequent flyer miles, but he very rarely travels. Yeah. So, like, it's not because he needs them or necessarily intends on using them. It's just he sees that they're available and he wants to get some. Yeah. I think that the only thing that... Um... I had a qualm with with this film was that and it wasn't even a big qualm like I still enjoyed this movie and maybe that is my bias but like um his the love interest Lena like is kind of just like irrationally in love with him for no reason like he, she just like asks her coworker who is Barry's sister to orchestrate them meeting and to show up at her at um Barry's sister's like party birthday party or something um so that she can keep running into him and stuff like that and you know he flies to Hawaii to um stay with her on a business trip which is kind of like a you know 
random creepy thing to do but she's like oh my god well but she asked to do it i know yeah which is why it's not like horrible but it's just like what like who are you i feel like lena is very like 2d i don't know anything about why in the world she's has this you know i would say obsession with barry Maybe it's the, you know, unreliable narrator where, you know, Barry is actually interesting, but he sees himself as pretty boring. But yeah, I mean, like, if she was attracted to Barry, I don't know why. Like, there's there's very little, you know, that stands out about him as, you know, a very attractive person. I guess he's Adam Sandler in his prime, but, you know, like... (laughs) Which is not, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Like, physically, he's alright. And then, like, but then in terms of his personality, it's like, what is happening? Like, he's not... He's not... He doesn't do anything. In this that, movie, yeah. Yeah, that that would make... I, I mean, think, if you... Like, Adam Sandler and Funny People, like, I understand why women found him attractive. But in this movie, yeah, like, this guy has a lot of pudding and a lot of frequent flyer miles. But. Yeah. I mean, he's shy. I know shy can be, like, an attractive quality for some people. Um, but at the really? same time, it's... Yeah, I, people, I, I find people who are shy to be more attractive than people who are outgoing, personally. How do you know they're not just, like, tired or something? Well, I think you have to see them for more than one, you know, experience. Also, I think that, like, you can tell when someone's tired or they're shy. There's a very different demeanor there. Shy people look like they kind of always have something they could say, but they're not because they are shy. Whereas tired people are just like, oh my god, I'm so tired. I'm not thinking about anything but how tired I am. Yeah. Anyway, so I think the fact that Barry is kind of shy could be like a um, attractive quality for some, but I think there needs to be like more there, and I don't feel like Barry has any more there. I mean, he obviously does; everybody does, but I don't see how that he made that apparent to Lena, such that Lena would be like, "Oh, I want to fall in love with this guy," you know. Anyway. They um, do have chemistry, though. They do. They definitely do. Um, and that's... What like, just you don't understand why it started, but... Not Emma Watson, but no, Emily. Emily Watson. Watson. You don't understand why it started, but, you know, they do have obvious chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the acting is quite good. For sure. Yeah, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is in this... He's connected with the phone sex line, and that's he does a great job as always. Um, another thing that I thought worked in this film, and is true of all PT films. Louise Guzman is also in this movie. Yeah, but he's such a small role. I really actually don't know why they. They put him I in. I mean, n- not I know why they put him in. I mean, he works with uh, PT Anderson on stuff, but. I don't know why they, I don't know, 
why he was like listed in the Wikipedia. I know why he was listed because he's literally in the film, but he's in like the beginning description on Wikipedia, which is like, you know, it stars this blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, he's definitely not in a starring role. He's in like two scenes, maybe. Anyway, but it's just it's a small cast too. Like he might be he has a he does a very small role, but he might be like you know the the fourth biggest actor in the or fourth like you know talks the largest yeah. role. Uh, I mean, I guess probably Philip Philip Seymour Hoffman might have a slightly bigger role, but and the phone sex lady. You don't she's see just her not though. famous. No, but you hear yeah. her voice. You do see her a few times. I would I would yeah, I say you see her almost as much as you see Louise Guzman, and you definitely hear her voice more than you hear Louise Guzman's voice. So, yeah. Where's the phone sex lady? There you go. Anyway. Um, I, don't, I, f- I feel like she's not even listed in the cast. Like, in the cast in the Wikipedia page. She's definitely not. Anyway, okay, all of this is... She's she's no name, though. I mean... she's no, Well, she's obviously listed in IMDb, because, like, you can't not, but she's not... Yeah, I guess she's just not famous enough to warrant being on the Wikipedia. Um, the thing I was gonna say was that, like all P.T. Anderson films, I feel like the cinematography is really on point. I love what he does with the color palette and with the, the framing and stuff like that. And I, so I just looked, Robert Ellswit uh, was the cinematographer and it doesn't surprise me that he's done a lot of like really high quality stuff. Um, one of which this is a plug. We should watch this for this, but I know you won't like it. Desert hearts, the 1985 classic lesbian drama that was like the first like <laughs> directed by Donna um Marissa thinks it's great and I haven't heard of it it's it's because it's LGBT anyway, <laughs> not that I have against the, yeah. I mean obviously I'm pro but yeah yeah I don't have the same you know drop everything to to do it but it is a classic sides. it's not it's like a classic um and it's not like a bad classic it's actually quality and holds up in some ways um <laughs> but the it's a big qualifier <laughs> it totally holds up in some ways <laughs> boogie nights boogie nights uh he did boogie nights which is really good and oh my god i can't believe you haven't seen it we should do it except it's really long but i would totally watch it again because it's really good Really, really good. Um, the Town. He did Ben Affleck's The Town. Inherent Vice. Also P.T. Anderson. I haven't seen that yet. Anyway, okay. I haven't seen it. Anyway, we're, we're... The, the, the cinematography is good. The way that this film looks is good. The actors are good. The acting is good. You know, the plot at times feels like, why am I watching this film? Because it feels like nothing's happening, but things are happening, and you are watching the film. It's a slow-moving, quirky... uh, It reminded me of, actually, of uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely could fit with that. Except a little less quirky, but yeah. A little bit more surrealistic, a little bit less quirky. 
Yeah, more subtle. Cool. That's Wes Anderson. Not Peter. Not Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah. What else is there to say about this movie? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess thinking about it more, I think you know the idea of Adam Sandler having some kind of social anxiety disorder, um, coupled with that sort of being portrayed in the cinematography in the form of you know him being somewhat of an unreliable narrator actually makes this movie more interesting. And I think the more I think about it, the more I like that theory. I think that that's such an interesting hypothesis that you've put forth. Like, I did not see that at all. But, you know, I think it's cool that you do... I don't know. I'm curious... Briefly, what other films do you feel like have unreliable narrators? I mean, I can't think of one of those... I mean, obviously Fight Club. Yes, but that's, again, that's, that's where someone is n- narrating to you. I mean, yeah. I, f- I feel like I, I'm a big fan of the, the trope of unreliable narrators. Um, I mean, obviously the show uh, How I Met Your Mother is a prime example of unreliable narrators in the visual medium. But that, too, someone is telling you, it's framed as someone is telling you the story. You know? Yeah. Um, Shutter Island is an example of a movie with an unreliable narrator. Okay, true, true. But that's... Yeah, I guess it's it's exposed. But of course it's always been there, yeah. Okay, alright. Um, I mean, A Beautiful Mind, right? That's got... Now I'm looking them up. American okay. Psycho, Beautiful Mind. Wait, what was the first one? American Psycho. What was the... How was that unreliable? Have you seen American Psycho? Yeah. I'm confused. He's... He kills people. But he does... That's unclear if he does or doesn't. Oh, I forgot that part. Okay, I should rewatch that then. That's like a huge part of the movie. I, where he's worried about, I, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, too, but he's worried about someone walking in to, like, his murder room, and then the murder room is clean. Oh, I don't know. It's I watched a, it a long time ago, but I guess I just, like, blocked that, that's that part. That's a giant out. part of the movie. I don't know. Didn't stick for me. Didn't stick. Just the, like, cards, the eggshell colored cards, that stuck. That's a, that's a good scene. And, like, one of the sex scenes. I think with the two hookers and the murder. Uh, I mean, the scene where he's he's uh, he's looking at his biceps while having sex. Yeah, that. Yeah. That's great. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So I see your point. I see your point. Okay. Yeah, I guess this film just feels a lot different from all of those. So I just. But yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's it's a theory about how to interpret the film. It's not the. Final, it's not the definitive, definitive yeah. way of viewing it, but yeah. yeah, I understand. I think it makes the movie more interesting. Cool, cool. Yeah, I don't like. Yeah, it's it's kind of this guy with social anxiety who falls in love for the first time, and he has these quirky, surrealistic behaviors like 
trying to get a lot of frequent flyer miles or calling a phone sex hotline to try to talk about his day-to-day life. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, it's a decent movie. Um, when would you want to watch this movie? Um, hmm, on a chill night in. Yeah. You're in for the night, you know, you're trying to watch an interesting movie. This is, you know, this is a substantive, substantive movie where um, watching it can be a thing that you... It's watching it a thing you should do by itself, and um, it, you know, takes time and mental energy to do, but it's not, you know, it's not overly consuming. It's a nice, like, you know, you're drinking some wine, you're watching this movie, you think a little bit about it, and then you go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. We should have a matinee, matinee, uh, film parents. <laughs> that, should, that could be a thing. <laughs> I don't know enough about wine. Neither do I. Well, I was just imagining, like, you know, this is a movie you drink with wine. Like, you know, you eat popcorn and drink beer with this movie. Mm, okay, yeah. Know. Yeah. This is a steak well, But I also movie. don't drink wine, so I would never drink wine with this movie. <laughs> never say never, Rissa. I never drink wine after Charter Wine Tasting 2014. Oh, you've, you've literally never drank wine since 2014, no, in the have. past three years? I have, but I'm like, not, I don't. I just drink it if someone's like, have a glass of wine, and I'm like, okay, and I like sip, and then I finish the glass, and then I like put it away, and I'm like, no more wine. Do you, you just don't like the taste of it anymore, or... You just I don't, don't think I ever did, the and then for it. now it's worse. I never did, and now it's worse. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, no. But um, if someone was like, "You can't watch this film unless you drink a glass of wine with it," I would watch the film and drink a glass of wine. That's how good this film. I was. mean, you don't need to drink wine to enjoy this movie. I'm, I'm just thinking to in terms of tell like you know our when... listeners how <laughs> like... much I would. But, give to watch this film. I'm just saying, like, you know, drinking wine at night has certain connotations with it, and those connotations fit well with this film. I also would probably not drink wine while watching this movie because I don't have wine in my apartment. <laughs> um, but if I had to pick, you know, a, if I had a full liquor cabinet plus wine and beer, and I was trying to find the perfect drink, this that to go with this movie, it would be white wine. Okay. Um, yeah, so what would you give it? Out of um, five? Four. Yeah, i give it a, I think i give it a low four. Yeah. So, it's a decent movie. It's enjoyable to watch. Um, it's not something that, it, it it's not a game changer. Um, but, it's a nice movie. And it would be a nice way to spend an evening. Yep. I agree. I completely agree. And it's it's quite short. Um, and it's it's economical. Like, it doesn't... It's a good evening film when you just want to relax, um, watch something interesting, and... It's, and it's 8 o'clock, you're kind of tired. Yeah. But you don't want to go to bed just yet, so you pour your glass of white wine, and you drink, and you watch this movie. Yeah. Agreed. Sweet.
Matinee, matinee. Manatee, manatee. Have a nice day.